So let me pray and let's turn to this great passage in Romans chapter 8. Father, you love your children. And that's where we start this morning. So much that you sent your son, your beloved son, your precious son to rescue us from sin. And then, Lord Jesus, you sent the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would take your work on the cross and out of the grave and apply it to our hearts so that we might see for the first time the goodness of God in the land of the living. Jesus, we long to see you this morning. We long to see the good news of the gospel in a fresh way this morning or for the first time this morning. Holy Spirit, we trust you with this moment. We ask that you would strengthen us by your word, that you would use it to draw those who are currently rejecting Christ to him. And those of us who are relying and depending on Christ and hoping in him, would you confirm our hope this morning that he is a sure and steady anchor. We look to him now. We pray these things in his name. Amen. If you're a Christian, then you're a citizen of Jesus's future kingdom. You may live in this world, but your passport says that your home is heaven, that God is your father, that Jesus Christ himself is your king, and that the Holy Spirit is your strength and source of comfort. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he brought his future kingdom with him into this world. He broke into creation like the sun at dawn breaks into the dark of night. Jesus chased away the shadow of death that towered over God's people, just like the prophet Isaiah predicted. The people dwelling in darkness, that includes us, have seen a great light. But here's the unique thing about the days that we're living in, the the days that the Bible calls the last days. All of us who are united to Jesus by faith are people of the light who still live in a land of darkness. We are people of that future kingdom of Jesus, the future kingdom of heaven, who live in this present kingdom of the world. And that means we live in a world where sin still has influence and we groan as a result. We groan because we sin and because other people sin. We groan because our bodies grow old and sick and eventually die. We groan because we live in a world that limps under the heavy weight of sin. But when Jesus comes again, the groaning will be replaced with glory. The groaning of this present age will give way to future and eternal glory. The main thing that Paul says in Romans 8, 18 to 25 is that our present suffering cannot compare with future glory. Any suffering, no matter how intense we experience in this life, cannot compare to future glory. And so the job of the church is to groan and long with hope. Paul's main idea is found in verse 18. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is saying two things, two things in these verses. The first is the present suffering is intense. The second thing is the present suffering can't compare to the future glory. Paul is not a drill sergeant in these verses. We shouldn't look at these verses in Romans chapter 8 as a drill sergeant bellowing at us with his finger in our face telling us the pain's not that bad. Just press on. That's not how we should view this passage. It's more like a nurse whispering to us with her hand on our forehead saying to us, I know it hurts, but relief is coming. This passage from Paul is like a coach who sees us struggling doing push-ups on the floor and drops down alongside of us doing push-ups with us, calling on us to persevere, keep going. The pain is doing something. That's Romans 8, 18 to 25. Paul is not interested in diminishing our pain. He labors to put our pain in perspective. Present suffering, future glory. And remember, he's building on verse 17 that Dave brought to us last week. We are God's children. We are heirs with a glorious inheritance. That's where we're starting this morning. And while there's nothing that we do to earn that status as children of God and heirs of God, there is a cost for assuming that status. We do not earn our way into God's family. Jesus did that. But there is a cost, Jesus says, for being a part of his family. There is a suffering that comes from being connected to Christ. Look at verse 17 from last week. And if, and, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Having been saved by God through faith, we take up our cross and we follow after Jesus. And we suffer in this life with him and for him. If he was rejected, he says, as the teacher and the leader, how much more will we be rejected as those who are following after him? The world will reject us and Satan will put a target on our back present suffering, and it'll be intense. But also Paul wants us to see future glory. Our willingness to suffer with Jesus, be it cancer or persecution, is proof, is fruit, is evidence that we belong to him. And if we belong to him, then we will be glorified with him. Now our suffering right now might be cancer or depression. It might be financial stress or it might be an unfair boss. It might be a rebellious child or chronic pain, an overpowering addiction or paralyzing insecurity. Our suffer suffering may be loneliness or childlessness or helplessness. It might be a failing or a failed marriage. It might be the weakening of our body and mind in old age. It might be persecution for following after Jesus. You might be gripped by fear. You may be haunted by past sins. You might be devastated that despite its promises, money cannot satisfy thirst. Present suffering is intense, and it's varied, and it's chronic. Present suffering hurts, and it's okay for us to cry, and it's okay for us to plead with God for relief, 
And it's okay for us to ask others to stand under the burden with us. Romans 8, you see, is a scathing rebuke of every pastor who promises you future blessings in the present. It is true that God blesses us spiritually and abundantly. But following Jesus is not the escape ticket from suffering in this life. Jesus promised us just the other. Groaning, then glory. That's the Bible's pattern. That's Jesus' strategy. That's the Holy Spirit's process. Because though present suffering is intense, present suffering cannot compare with future glory. When God's future glory is revealed, we will literally be apprehended by it. It will come and arrest us. We will see his glory with worshipful awe and we will be paralyzed with worship. Our present suffering won't be remembered when we begin to swim in the future glory that Jesus has prepared for us. Now it begs the question, what is glory? How is Paul using glory here? I would submit to you that glory is a word gathering up all the future blessings and realities that God has promised to his children. Glory is a word that's gathering up all those promises and blessings and pulling them together. You could think of glory as a massive word basket. And into that basket, Paul puts all the treasures, all the blessings, all the realities that will be ours. He stuffs them in that glory basket and he says, behold these things, they're coming. In the first place, a resurrected body. Once we hit 30, our bodies begin to disintegrate. <laughs> but look into the glory basket. Look into that word basket that Paul holds up for us. Your cataracts, your aching backs, your kidney stones, your dementia, they are present suffering. And they are intense and they are real, but they cannot compare to the glory that's coming. And the greater the intensity of the suffering, the more we should imagine and taste what the glory will be. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3 that our citizenship is in heaven. We are heaven's people. That's what our passport says. We are citizens of heaven. And from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Your body is not deteriorating completely. It will deteriorate, and unless the Lord comes back, it will die, but it will rise again. Your body will be pulled out of the ground and resurrected. The second thing we see in this glory basket is a sinless soul. A sinless soul. Sometimes our struggle with sin is like getting tree sap on our hands. You know how hard it is to get tree sap off your hands. Sometimes our struggle with sin is just like that. But future glory. There will be a day when we no longer struggle with sin. When our flesh patterns no longer plague us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes, And we, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If you are in Christ, then Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is at work in us, transforming us from one degree of glory to another into His image. A sinless soul is coming. 
There's also the church gathered from every nation on earth. One day there will be no more need for evangelism. There will be no more need for planting churches because of future glory, because the good shepherd will at that time in the future will have gathered his sheep from every tribe and tongue and nation. That's what Revelation 7 reminds us of, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they're clothed in white robes, sinless, with palm branches in their hands, victory, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In that glory basket, in that glory basket, that, that basket of future promises is a resurrected body and a sinless soul and a church gathered from all nations in a new heavens and a new earth. More about this soon, but inside that glory word basket is a renewed creation for us to live in and enjoy. Isaiah 65 verse 17, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. Inside this glory basket, the church, resurrected and sinless, gathered from all nations on earth, will breathe air in a new creation. Paul says present suffering is intense. And Paul says present suffering won't compare with future glory. The reality of our future hope lends strength for the present. Paul says, I know it hurts. Relief is coming. And to strengthen his point about the intensity of present suffering and the incomparable nature of future glory, Paul says God's creation even knows how this works. God's creation groans under the weight of present suffering. God's creation longs for future glory. Look at verse 19 of Romans chapter 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is groaning. Creation is longing. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Inside creation, oceans, mountains, plant life, animals. Paul says it's as if inside creation there is a longing, a deep, aching desire. A longing for the time when God's children experience their future glory. Paul personifies creation for us to make his point. Creation is longing for the sons and daughters of God to be glorified. And we learned in verse 14 that those who are led by the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. Now, we tend to think it's going to be awesome when the creation is glorified. Majestic mountains, untouched forests, crystal clean bodies of water, stunning plant life, awe-inspiring animal life. But notice that the pinnacle for Paul is not the glorification of nature, but the children of God. That's the climax of God's redeeming, renewing work. Our glorification will be more glorious than an untarnished, untouched, unpolluted creation. And I think this is a gift for us because we have some idea of what it will be like to live in a world that's untouched by sin. And Paul says, creation longs to see the children of God glorified. Just let that sink in. 
It's as if creation is eager to see us, the church, transformed. To see the presence of sin off our backs and out of our hearts. Creation experiences intense, present suffering, but that won't compare with future glory. Not one bit. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation doesn't groan because creation did something wrong. Creation groans because we did. God cursed creation because of Adam's sin and all the sinners who would stand in line after Adam who sinned. Creation pays the price for our sin. God curses creation and puts it under this weight of sin because of what we did. And so we see the suffocation of bondage, the humiliation of corruption or decay, the frustration of futility. We see apple trees that produce imperfect apples, oceans that produce tsunamis, forests that are eaten by wildfires, animals that devour one another, viruses that kill animals and humans alike, beaches erode and icebergs shrink and animals go extinct, thorns and thistles infest God's ground. And creation groans as it bears the overwhelming weight of sin's curse upon it. And Paul says we're to blame. But creation also longs with hope. Creation doesn't just groan. Creation also longs. It waits with hope. It's as if creation stretches its neck for a time. When it will be set free, it's as if creation knows that one day God's curse will be lifted, that it will be sprung from slavery. One day the heavy blanket of sin will be lifted from the back of creation. A day when frustrating futility is replaced with astounding productivity. When creation obtains its freedom, a freedom that's connected to the glory of God's children. Creation knows that when we are freed from sin, it will be freed from sin. Paul wants our hearts to swell at the thought of it and then to swell all the more as we think of our glorification over and against creations. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter tells us to wait for and hasten the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to God's promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, a new heaven and a new earth with a glorified people and a glorified creation. Or Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Now look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This illustration Paul is using to bridge the creation to humans. This is a metaphor for both of us. It's an illustration that helps us to understand groaning and longing mixed together. Creation knows that it's not groaning without hope. It's groaning as if it was in childbirth. 
A woman who is giving birth to a child knows that at the end of the pain, at the end of the suffering comes a child, a life. And so there is purpose in the suffering. There is purpose in the pain. It is pain onto reward. It is groaning onto life. There is something productive at the end of this. And Paul says creation knows this. And so it groans with hope. It is not senseless pain. It is not losing, but winning. Paul says creation knows this, and we should as well. We can as well. Because it's not just creation that groans and longs. We, the church, groan and long. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of of our bodies. Even those who have the first fruits of the Spirit inwardly groan and eagerly long for our adoption, for future glory. The concept of first fruits makes sense to farmers. It's the early present fruit. It's the early harvest that springs forth before the great harvest. And Paul says to the Christians in Rome and to the Christians in Cherrydale, even in we whom the Spirit dwells, grown and long. We who have the Spirit as first fruits of this future glory, we still groan and long. The Spirit, Paul tells us, is the first fruit of that future glory. It's the first taste. He is the first taste of what is to come. We groan because the pain of this present age is intense and deep and varied and persistent. And we groan because we're joined to Jesus, which means we share in his suffering, whether it's cancer or persecution. But the presence of God's Spirit means that we don't suffer alone. And the presence of the incarnate Jesus and the indwelling Spirit are the first fruits of future glory. And this is important for us to pause and think about because we can't endure present suffering in our own strength. It's not as if we grit our teeth and carry on. It's not as if we can ignore present suffering. It's too painful. It's too intense. It's too overwhelming. We walk through suffering depending on the Holy Spirit's power. It's as, as if the Holy Spirit becomes the muscles and the tendons that causes His people to stand up and walk. We pause in suffering to plead for the Holy Spirit's help to look to Christ. The Holy Spirit's help to confirm what we know to be true. The Holy Spirit's help to help us look at Christ and all that He has accomplished to fulfill the law for us, to die for us, and to rise for us. And we let the Holy Spirit confirm it. Yes, it's all true. The Spirit serves as the nurse. I know this hurts. Relief is coming. The Spirit serves as the coach on the gym floor with us, telling us the pain is doing something good. There's nothing wasted here. And the Spirit is the first fruits of the future harvest. His presence with us, Paul says in Ephesians 1, is the guarantee of the whole glory basket. We can count on what's in the glory basket because Jesus is the or the Spirit is the first fruit. 
Therefore, we groan inwardly, being honest about the intensity of pain, the intensity of the pain of our present suffering. But we also wait longingly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. But if you were here last week, you're thinking, wait a minute, Dave told us that our adoption was final. He told us that we have adoption as sons. In verse 15, we read that we've received adoption as sons and daughters. We can call God Abba Father now. We are co-heirs with Christ. He is our older brother. But here Paul says, we're waiting eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So why are we waiting for what we already have? We picked up our dog Rosie in Ohio 15 months ago, and we paid for her, and we gave her her new name, and we began to call her by that new name. And the kids played with her at the farm where we picked her up, and we put our collar on the dog. We gave her the toys that we picked out for her, and everyone was joyous, blessing all around. And then we picked up Rosie, and we put her in her crate inside the van, and we drove six hours home from Ohio. And Rosie went from this great farm in Ohio to a crate the size of this pulpit and a six-hour drive in the van. She had a new name. She had a new collar. She had a new family. She was ours. She was purchased. She was paid for. She was part of the Ostike family. And then she was car sick in the van. <laughs> and to get some relief, she used the grass in a gas station parking lot. And none of us would blame her if she wanted to go back home. Take me back to where I came from. But Rosie hadn't experienced the fullness of life in her new home because we were still on the way home. She was part of the family. She was adopted. She was ours. But we were still on the way home. We were not home. That Toyota Sienna on that highway in Ohio was not home. Paul wants us to know that we have been adopted. Our Father has seen to that. Our older brother, Jesus, has paid the price. We're adopted, but we are not yet home. Our new life with God and with each other, the church, has begun, but we are still living in the present age. We are sojourners here. We are strangers. We are travelers. We are people of the future who are living in present darkness. We are people of the light whom God has left here to proclaim His name. But we don't proclaim Him alone. We don't make the trip alone. Jesus said, Lo, I will be with you until the very end of the age. He is praying for us and interceding for us, and His Spirit is with us always. We are waiting for the full experience of our adoption. We wait with eager longing to be home. We groan honestly and we long eagerly for our adoption to be experienced in fullness. We long for home. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.1, we know that the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, a house eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. 
For while we are still in this tent, Paul says, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And now 1 Corinthians 15. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. For what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Glory, groaning, then glory. And Paul says, don't be surprised that you haven't realized all the blessings of salvation yet. It should not be a surprise to us that we have been adopted, but we are not yet home. That's the purpose of hope. Look at verse 24 and 25. For in this hope, we were saved, hoping in our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, experiencing the fullness of our adoption. In this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen isn't hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope is a gift that God gives us to help us endure through present suffering into future glory. Hope is a gift. Hope is a tool. A tool given to us by a gracious, understanding God who understands that we are dust and that suffering is intense. Hope is a tool. Hope is medicine. Hope is medicine that helps us endure the shared suffering for all who are connected to Christ. Hope is a gift, it's a tool, it's medicine. It helps us get from here to there, from groaning to glory. Hope is vital. We long for Christmas morning all December. But when we wake up on December 25th, we no longer hope for Christmas because Christmas is there. Church family, hope is temporary. It is a temporary gift and medicine and tool because we long for future glory. We long for the redemption of our bodies. We long for a sinless existence. We long to be gathered with God's people from every tribe on the earth. We long to breathe the air in the new creation. We long to be with the Lord, to see his face, to hear his voice, to know his presence as we never have before. But when that day of future glory comes, the need for hope is gone. We have no need for hope when we see him face to face when that future glory basket comes and we begin to unwrap it together. So we hope now for what we do not yet see and we wait for future glory with patience. Though we honestly groan, we eagerly wait. So grab a hold on some area of present suffering. Grab a mental hold on something, some example of present suffering. Relational division, psychological disorders, physical aches and pains, persistent sin struggles, unmet desires, unanswered prayers, the sting of death itself. Pull those into your mind. We spend a lot of time minimizing present suffering and ignoring future glory. We spend a lot of time trying to minimize and avoid and compartmentalize pain away from us and ignore future glory. We spend a lot of time doing that. 
What if we flipped it? What if we spent our time instead embracing present suffering and anticipating future glory? I'm not saying we hunt for pain and enjoy it. I am saying that we acknowledge that God has the power to shield us from pain. And when he doesn't, he has a design for it. What if we endured the groaning and anticipated the glory and spent our time and our effort and our prayers there, leaning through pain and waiting for glory? Rosie needed this perspective locked in. I'm not home. This pain is temporary. This suffering isn't final. One day we will be home. And we will experience all that God has intended for us. We will unwrap that glory basket and enjoy Him forever. One day all the promises in that basket will tumble out and become our reality. And until then, honestly groan. It's okay to wince and let the tears fall over present suffering. It's okay for us to plead with God for relief. It's okay for us to ask a friend just to sit with us under the burden. But we don't groan without hope. Our honest groaning is mixed with eager hope. We season our groaning with the future glorious realities that will come to us like a freight train from the future. And the Holy Spirit stands with us to point us to the decisive victory of Jesus. Don't lose hope. These things are true. His promises will last. The Holy Spirit's job is to cause our hope to feel certain. I don't mean it will feel perfectly certain all the time, but the Holy Spirit helps those future promises to feel real. Here's Richard Sibbs to help us bring this all together. Suffering brings discouragements because of our impatience. Alas, we lament, I shall never get through such a trial. But if God brings us into the trial, he will be with us in the trial and at length bring us out of the trial more refined. And then quoting from Zechariah 13, he says, we shall lose, lose nothing but dross. From our own strength, we cannot bear the least trouble, but by the Spirit's assistance, we can bear the greatest trouble. The Spirit will add His shoulders to help us bear our infirmities. The Lord will give us His hand to heave us up. Psalm 37. It yields us comfort, this truth, the Spirit, in desolate conditions, that then Christ has a throne of mercy at our bedside and numbers our tears and our groans. Groaning then glory. Dear friends, there's a sense in which even if you are sitting here this morning presently rejecting Christ, you just don't see the need or the reality or the utility of a relationship with God through Christ. You too are a future citizen. But your passport says that heaven is not home. 
Instead, eternal separation from God is your future residence. Jesus is not your king, so says your passport, but your judge. But Jesus begs you to turn while time remains. Turn, repenting of your sins and receiving God's mercy. Turn so that the glory that's coming can be your inheritance. That when it's time for you to pass from this life into the next, as a future citizen, you will gain true life in his kingdom. Church family, our citizenship is in heaven. And Paul says, from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes, when Jesus comes, present suffering will be eclipsed by eternal glory. He will upend the glory basket and all will be true. The future glory, even the creation itself, longs to see. Remember, we may live in this world of intense present suffering and groaning, but our passport says heaven is home. God is our Father, Jesus is our King, the Holy Spirit is our strength and comfort. Our present suffering can't compare to the glory that's coming. So groan and long with hope. Let's pray. Father, you are good to give us such hope. Jesus, you are good to do the work for us. We stop and we look at what you've accomplished and we worship you. Holy Spirit, thank you for applying the truths of the gospel to our hearts and then helping us endure in light of them. We pray that we would be a people marked by honest groaning over this present suffering and eager longing for the future glory that is to come. Help us to live out our heavenly citizenship. Help us to live like people of the future. Help us to live in the light, though we dwell now in the land of darkness. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.